And as you guys know, we're working our way through the very positive, enjoyable outlook of Ecclesiastes. No Snickers. I was trying to be sarcastic. It's quite pessimistic at times. Um, And actually, even before I start, I have to apologize because as a person who is learning and growing and figuring stuff out as he goes, because I hope to always be a student, um, last week when I talked about the authorship of Ecclesiastes, I came off very authoritative as if this was the right view and no other view could be possible on the authorship of Ecclesiastes. And I have to apologize for that because, well, <clears throat> it's almost like this idea of enigma, right? Like uh, Hebel, right? Going back to that word we're studying as we go through Ecclesiastes. There's a mystery. There's a we don't fully understand. We don't fully grasp. We don't fully know. And let's be straight. I wasn't there when they penned Ecclesiastes. I don't know who is there. We don't know who is there. It could have been Solomon. Most likely was. Could have been this dude, Kulholet, that I named him. We don't know. Either way, it doesn't take away from the truth that it is, in fact, God's word and it is, in fact, scripture. But I wanted to start off by apologizing because I came off very authoritative on an issue I shouldn't have. And that's something I want to work on is being more balanced. And that's something I always try to do. So I was caught off guard when someone corrected me last week or several people. And I was like, oh, I try to be more careful with that. But I am human. And there you have it. I'm going to read the text we're going to be walking through this morning, and then we will pray, and then we will jump in. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. I said in my heart, come, now I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them uh, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself Pools for which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I had singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I made great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended. In doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, and we ask that as we continue through this uh, book of Ecclesiastes, that you would 
Open our hearts and eyes for what you have for us. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to think deeply about uh, the realities of life, um, both the cynical and the positive, the good and the bad. Um, Be with us this morning uh, and uh, help us to learn and grow. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, As most of you know, for many years I was a, a janitor at the high school right down the street. And one of my jobs was to, uh, and, and I neglected this job a lot, just confession time, just being honest with you guys, being real, and I neglected this a lot, but I had to dust the trophies, okay, trophy hall, trophies. Like if you go into the high school, there is a hallway dedicated to the many trophies that our school has earned over the years, right? In fact, if you guys, many of you have, who have gone to school in Big Sandy, even me, to great shock and awe, will find your name on some of these trophies. Yes, I know, my name is on a few. Okay, granted, I was the bench warmer, but it still counts. I was on the team, right? Yeah. So anyways, my, my job is to dust and clean and take care of these uh, trophies from time to time. Um, uh, the other thing that I had to do at one point was fix the trophies. Because we have a trophy hall, and they're all hanging, kind of just hanging out in the hallway, and kids and teenagers and other careless individuals run to and fro in the hallway doing their thing. Well, every once in a while, break a trophy. And so then my job would be to take the trophy off the wall and fix it up and maybe reclean it, hopefully reattach it, though sometimes that doesn't work, so we find other ways to just put it back up, and hopefully no one notices the headless basketball player or whatever right? Like you do what you have to do, and then you put the trophy back. And it it was something I was always really bad at is dusting. That was like the one thing I was, okay, well, there's many other things, I'm sure. But that was the one thing that I noticed that I was really bad at was dusting. And and it always made me think of the trophies. But I want you guys to maybe imagine something with me for a second. You know, let's use our imaginations. Um, A lot of times when I'd be dusting these trophies, you'd come across them like really old ones, like even before I think the building itself, the high school, was built. And, and I like to kind of imagine what the person or persons who earned the trophy had to go through in order to get that trophy, right? Like, think about it. Um, if it's a basketball game or football, you had to practice every day, right? You had to listen to the coach when he called the plays, you had to run and do drills and sweat. If you're in football, you have to put on this, like, heavy stuff, like armor. I like to imagine his armor because I'm a nerd. But, you know, your, your pads, you got to put it on. It's heavy. And especially when it's, like, end of summer, beginning of fall, and you start wearing this stuff, like, you're sweating. You're cooking. So imagine being that person who works and toils and goes through all that to to win and to earn the trophy. The hard truth of life is that trophy is now collecting dust on a shelf in a trophy hall. Now, there's two ways we can look at this, right? We can look at the kind of harsh reality of life 
Some of those trophies, the names on them, most of those people aren't here anymore. They've gone and passed. They've lived their lives. They've died. Life has gone on. It's collecting dust. We probably don't even know who those people are. Maybe some of us. I certainly don't. That's like the harsh reality of the trophy, right? The harsh reality is is that like, and the even harsher reality of working for the school is there are so many trophies that I had to actually like stow a bunch away in a storage room because we didn't have anywhere to display them. Now, if you have trouble with that, take it up with the board, not with me. I don't work there anymore. But you see what I'm saying? The harsh reality of the trophy is that you work and you toil and you strive, and then you find victory, and it's there, and it's great, and then life goes on. And now it's just a piece of material collecting dust on a shelf. Right? The other reality is, is like, go back to that person who worked and toiled and sweat. Like, they didn't just work and toil and sweat for that little cool trophy, right? They did it for more than that. They did it to be a part of a team. They did it to have a purpose. They did it to, uh, you know, build character and to get in shape and beat their bodies into submission and make it stronger because that's what we do, right, especially in sports. Or, you know, our, our school used to have an awesome speech and drama uh, aspect to it. It doesn't exist anymore, sadly, but it, it was there, and it was a big part of our school for a long time. People worked hard at being able to speak in public and give speeches and talk and, and debate and all of those things, and they toiled and they worked, and that, that helped them in the long run, right? Like, in fact, I believe that there is a lawyer right here locally who it, he went to school here, and he was involved in speech and drama. And, and after being involved in it, he later became a lawyer. Right? Or and then there's Eric as well, the random stranger in the pew back there, right? He, he worked and toiled in speech and drama as well, but, right? So, so there is a positive aspect to this, right? Like, there is a positive aspect to the toil. But then there's also that harsh reality, right? And I think Ecclesiastes brings that harsh reality to the forefront to remind us that we're here then we're gone. That we work and we strive and we toil and we have our fun and then we're gone. And the point for us this morning is to have a sober reflection on that. To soberly reflect on these ideas and these truths about the world. And it's harsher realities. And yes, we'll come back to the obviously good and positive and awesome points of the reality of, for instance, the trophy. But sometimes we have to pause and, and move over to this futilityness and, and reflect on it soberly. And I want to invite you to take it seriously. I want to invite you to set aside the distractions that you're, you know, it's harvest, I know, it's summer, you're busy, you got a lot to get done. Yeah, I do too. But let's kind of put that over here and and let's soberly reflect on this text together this morning um for short review obviously we are working our way through ecclesiastes as has already been pointed out um historically it's been attributed to solomon as writing it there's lots of debate doesn't matter at this point no it's still god's word um 
a couple of the main word, or I guess really the main word that's said over 38 times in this book is the word, and this is the Hebrew word, hebel, or vanity, or meaningless, or however, uh, whatever Bible translation uh, translates it to. But it's the word hebel. And I really enjoyed the word enigma, uh, and a commentary kind of said this is kind of like an enigma. And an enigma is something that we kind of we don't fully grasp or understand. It's mysterious. We don't get it. And there's an enigma to life at times, right? I mean, in the first chapter, Solomon, or I'm just going to say Solomon. We're going to say Solomon, okay? Because if I keep on saying whoever, then it distracts. So Solomon, at the beginning of the book, he asks that question. He's like, what's the point of all this toil I'm doing? Like, what is the point? Why am I doing this? And we all ask ourselves that question, and I think he sets out to answer it as he works his way through the book. And so that's kind of what we're doing. We're wrestling with the hebel of life. And, and this morning we're going to look at the mystery or the enigma of joy, laughter, drinking, wine. It comes up. Trigger warning. That's a thing kids say anyways. And so uh, let's jump in. Verses 1 through 3 say, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Now, notice that there's purpose in it. He's saying, I'm going to test myself. I'm going to test my wisdom. I'm going to test my heart because I'm trying to figure out what the point of all this is. I'm going to test this on pleasure. Let's just see what it does. He's doing it on purpose. He's coming forth to it on purpose. Purpose. This isn't some like just going with the flow, I'm going to go party because it's fun. Like he comes to it with this wise, knowing mind like, I'm going to go about this because I'm going to see what the point of it is. I'm going to enjoy myself, right? Now the word pleasure for us kind of is almost naughty, if that makes sense. Like instinctively, like you hear the word pleasure and you're like, it's naughty, it's bad, Right? The best way really to translate what he's saying here isn't just like that kind of pleasure. It's happiness and joy. The things that make you happy, the things that warm your heart, the things that like, you you see what I'm saying? This isn't just like, oh, I'm going to go out and, you know, get like super drunk and party and sleep around and all that. That's not really what this is fully saying. That's part of it, but it's a bigger, deeper picture. It's a bigger, deeper picture of it's not just that kind of naughty pleasure, but it's everything that brings us happiness. I'm going to test myself with everything that brings me joy, everything that gets me up in the morning and makes me happy and and excited to be here. Let's test it out. I will test it. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. Behold, this is also an enigma. Behold, this is... uh, There's really no point to it here at this point. Again, it's the harsher reality he's looking at. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? It's hard to look at it from this harsh perspective and and wrestle with this idea that, like, laughter and pleasure and the good things in life are, like, pointless right? Because that's, that's something we feel. That's something we experience. We experience happiness. I don't just say be happy. Like we 
feel the warmth of being happy. And it's hard to reflect on the fact that what he's pointing out to us is that if our whole life is set on only feeling those feelings and doing those things that make us happy, it will leave you empty and still searching, and you won't find it in that. Does that make sense? Because he's not saying laughter's bad. I mean, come on. Read the Gospels sometime. Jesus has a sense of humor, and he's sarcastic at times, and it's funny, or can be, right? God has a sense of humor. And I point that out because Jesus, when we look at Christ, we see a physical representation of God, like in the flesh, right? And he had a sense of humor. I mean, he hung out around a campfire with a bunch of his disciples. I'm sure they cracked jokes. So he's not saying that laughter's bad, but he's saying that it is an enigma, it is mysterious, and I can't grasp it and fully understand it, and it's almost pointless if that's all there is. It's just pursuing these pleasures, just pursuing this laughter. I have to, you know, constantly laugh. Maybe you know those kind of people, right? Actually, I'm guilty of being this kind of person. I have a hard time, like, when serious stuff is going on, I'm the guy that, like, makes it awkward and tells a joke at, like, the most wrong time, right? That's me. And that's kind of, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to struggle or deal with something serious, so I'm just going to crack a joke, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to try and make you laugh, even if it's awkward and weird. Right? And there are times in life where we don't need that because that's not the point. That's just a part. And so we need to wrestle with this harsh reality that laughter isn't everything. Pleasure isn't everything. What use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Now, here's something interesting. The Bible never condemns the use of alcoholic beverages. It doesn't. And... We have to be aware of the fact that in this text, he is saying, like, my body will be affected when I drink wine. So I'm going to drink some wine, and I'm going to feel its effects. But notice he also says, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, right? So he wasn't, like, often to, like, drunken debauchery, doesn't know what he's doing, you know, stumbling with his words, has no idea where he is. That's not what he's talking about, but he's drinking enough to feel its effects because, well, that's what alcohol does. It affects your body. It makes you feel stuff, right? Can't get past that. Some people have a hard time with that. But in this text, Solomon, or dang it, Solomon, sorry, bad habit, is testing it out. He's doing it wisely. He's doing it in moderation, if you will, And how to lay hold of folly. I want to figure out how to grasp this idea of folly. And folly is the idea of just kind of living free. It's a free spirit. I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm going to have fun. I'm not going to think too much about things. I'm just going to do. Right? That's kind of what he means by folly. And so he's going through and he's testing and he's aware the whole time. I'm going to laugh even though it's pointless. I'm going to have fun even though it's a chasing after the wind. I'm going to drink some wine. I'm going to get the buzz. It's going to be a great time. I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to figure out how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. There's that cynical Solomon again, right? 
Like he kind of comes back and he's like, yeah, I'm going yeah, to do these things like wine. It's going to affect my body. It's going to be good. I'm going to have a good time. But, you know, we only have a few days and then we're gone and then we're, we're dead. You see that cynicalness? You see that harshness? And I try, I'm trying to do this on purpose to the best of my ability. I, I don't want to be too harsh or too critical. I don't want to be too, like, like I don't want to offend people. But if you, like, really want to read and understand Ecclesiastes, it's going to offend you. Right? Because it's talking about those harsh things in life that most of us grew up being trained not to talk about. Like the idea that, like, we're all going to die. Or the idea that, like, you know, there's a wise way to enjoy life. Right? These are all... I don't know, interesting things to think about. And I had a good time studying it this week. It was, it was fun. And so he keeps in mind this harshness. Like, again, he has that cynical attitude, like, with the few days we have left on this earth. Right? Like, isn't that just harsh? He's just like, wow. You want to hug the guy, right? I do. But he pursues happiness and laughter, in his, and he pursues folly. He wants to see what it's about. He wants to see if it answers that question of what's the point of all this. But then he moves on. Because it's not just about the laughter and the drinking and the enjoying and the pleasure, right? He pursues that, but then, then what does he do next? He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Those pools actually still exist. They look like big giant craters. You can see them. I think they're called Solomon's pools or craters. Google it anyways. And so next he moves on like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some work. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to build some houses. Now, the first part, talking about folly and laughter and enjoyment and the pleasures of life, like that's, okay, I, I can kind of see the futility in that. I can kind of see where he's going. I, I understand that. But, but now, and in my mind, for, for Big Sandy, a small rural community, this idea of like putting your hope and your worth in your work, like I have a feeling this is going to hit home for some of you guys, and, and I hope you listen. And I say this on purpose because I love you. He's saying, I worked my tail off. I started from nothing and built up to something big. I acquired wealth. I built storage containers to contain all my gold. If you go and actually assume this is Solomon and read 1 Kings, there's a section in uh, chapter 10 where it talks about the wealth of Solomon. And it is like none of us will ever amount to the wealth that he had. Like, it's ridiculous how much he had. But the point is, is I worked with my hands. I built up. I accumulated. I sacrificed and supported in all of these things. I had treasures. I had singers. I did all of this. And at the end, it was vanity. It was an enigma. It was pointless. 
here's the harsh truth. If you own a farm, you're going to get old someday. You're going to have to pass that farm on to someone else. Are they going to do a good job with your farm? You have no idea. You don't know. But you worked your whole life, blood, sweat, and tears into that farm, right? It's true. But someday you're going to have to give it up. Someday it's not going to be yours anymore. What then? Right? What's the use in that? Why work so hard? What's the point? Do you see what he's trying to get us to do? Maybe a little bit as I run into the piano. Sorry, I ran into the piano. It was an ADD moment. But do you see the point? He's trying to get us to think. He's trying to get us to consider. But again, he's not saying like, hey, working hard is bad. Don't work hard. Be lazy. No, that's not what he's saying, right? That would contradict the rest of Scripture. We are called to work hard. God gave us this earth to cultivate and build and use our creativity and make new things and produce a crop and provide. And like we're called to do those things. But the point is, is at the end of the day, if that has been your whole hope, it is for nothing because eventually it's not yours anymore. And say you, say you invent something awesome. It won't matter. Someone will invent something better. Say you buy and accumulate all this awesome wealth for yourself because of all your hard work. It's going to be a future garage sale. It's going to be in a dump someday. It's true. That's life. If that is all we have, if that is all we are, then you can totally resonate with Solomon's heart here when he says, vanity, vanity of vanities. What's the point? If that's all there is, what's the use? Why work so hard? Why? And in the last few verses he says, and and now he's almost going to reflect on all this. And kind of cut, like go back around. And he's, he's going to say, So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So the whole time he's doing this, he's experimenting. He's, he's aware of it. He's, he's thinking about it. He's pondering it. He's wrestling with it. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep, keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. There's something interesting. It feels good to work hard, doesn't it? We find a little bit of pleasure in it, don't we? Doesn't it? Like, um, uh, I think I was talking to, oh, so in Sunday school this morning, I was talking to Rebecca about this fun little simulator game you can play on the Xbox where you pressure wash stuff and clean it, right? It's a game about something that we find horribly boring in real life, but for some reason it is extremely fun because you just kind of whoosh, you just clean stuff. That's the whole point of the game. It's silly. But there's some sort of like pleasure in taking something dirty and making it clean. There's something awesome about like looking at a grand field, acres long. And at one point it was just dirt. But now look, crops. I got me some beans. I got me some, some stuff that you harvest. You guys know. I don't need to know, but you know. You, you know. <laughs> but do you see my point? It feels good. I took pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Yikes. A 
again, go back to that idea of the trophy and look at it from that cynical point of view where it's like they worked their tail off to earn this trophy and now look at it. It's broken, the guy's headless, the right? What was the point? Why reflect on these things? Why consider? I think for us, the reason we consider these things and we take the time to like soberly reflect on these things is that without God, all of that is true. Without God, what like the most cynical things he says in this text are absolutely the truth. Right? Like if you, um, uh, the really famous philosopher Nietzsche, right? He was the guy who coined the phrase, God is dead. That was him, right? But he was like one of the most depressing individuals. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he might have committed suicide. I could be wrong on that. No, he didn't. You're shaking his head. Well, he was a very depressed individual, but he took his philosophy or his idea to the fullest extent. Well, there is no God. There is no right or wrong. There's no morality. We're just going to take all that out of the picture. What are you left with? Ecclesiastes. What's the point? Right? Why? Now, spoiler alert, I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to go to the end of the book because I want us to look at something. And then I'll close and leave you all in your toil, if you will. Oh, went too far. So, wow, I went way too far, sorry. There we go. All right. So, in chapter 12, the last few verses, 13 and 14, he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, at first glance, that kind of seems more depressing because you're like, well, wait. Okay, fear God and obey his commandments. I'm incapable of obeying his commandments. And now I have to stand before him in judgment? After all this toil and pointlessness? That doesn't seem very positive. Deep breath. We'll get through this. Let me show you what's going on here. After everything that he said, and everything he will say as we continue forward, but after everything he said here in just these 11 verses, right, the, the toil, what's the point of working so hard just to have to give it away and die or accumulate all these things just because they're going to be in a dumpster someday, all of that negativity, if you will, or cynicism, he brings it back to, around to the fact that at the end of the day, without God, there is no purpose in it, Right? But let's, let's go back to the trophy and, and look at what that person who, who earned that trophy, like look at the, the positive. He, he worked hard. He learned how to be a part of a team. He, there's all these positive things about earning the trophy that, that, that haven't been looked at, right, because we've only been focusing on the negative aspects. With God and with Christ in the gospel, we get purpose again in all of this. All right? And this book clues us into the very reality of what it means to be human at our core. 
You know what that is? You ready? We, as humans, are created to be dependent on God. When we try to do it our own, when we try to accumulate on our own, when we try to laugh and party and do all the fun things on our own, it's vanity. It's pointless. So the point here is, is that as humans, to be fully human in our most human sense is to be dependent on God. To be aware of the reality that he is here. Right? Because that's, that's what he's saying. Because he's saying, hey, obey God. Right? That acknowledges that God is there and that he exists and that he created you and that he placed you in the time and space that you're in for a purpose. That he gave you the spouse or the not spouse or that he gave you the kids or whatever. Everything that you have is here on purpose. And because of what Christ did on the cross and you're saved, everything you do has a purpose now. Everything you do is, I'm not just earning a trophy, I'm preparing for something bigger. Right? Now I toil under the sun because I know that Christ is using suffering and hard work, and all of those things to prepare me for something better. He saved me so that I could become like him. He saved me so that I can be in relationship with him. And so now, all of life has a point. All of life has a purpose. All of life is us coming back to really, truly being human. Because without that, it's all pointless. What's the point? Right? Like I have, I have, I have talked to, to people who, who are atheists or don't believe in God, and they and they wrestle and they talk, and that's kind of the conclusion they have to come to if they really hold their world worldview to its fullest extent. They have to say it. Well, there's really no point. Like why be, why be kind to each other if there's no nothingness? Like what's the point? There is no point. At the end of the day, I'm just highly evolved bioplasmic protoplasm, you know what I'm saying. I'm a fancy thing that came here by accident and happenstance, and there's no point in the end. And that's the conclusion they have to come to inevitably. But we don't, right? But we do need to soberly reflect on these things, do we not? You know why? We forget, don't we? How many of you, if you were being honest, would say, yeah, I haven't reflected on these kind of things in a while because I've been so sucked into my life. I got bills to pay, man. I got a family to feed. I got a farm to run, business to run. I have a lot going on. I don't have time to like sit down and be like, oh, right, to be human is, is to be fully dependent on God. What does it mean to be fully dependent on God and run a farm? Good question. And that's, that's my challenge for you guys. Reflect on these things. Take these things seriously. Remember that to be really human is to be dependent on God. You need him. And the minute you say you don't, you're missing something. And you're heading towards futility. And, and I think, really, I'll, I'll close with this thought. The beauty of the gospel is that our God, 
this big, mighty, just, perfect, outside of space and time, huge, beyond our comprehension God, became us. And he did that to save us and bring us back to him. Because he created us for a purpose. He created us to be fully alive and fully human. And sin kind of stopped that. And so he came and fixed that so that we could come back to him and be fully human again. And to be fully human is to just be okay with the enigma. There's a lot of mystery in life, is there not? And kind of like what I said the first or second time I preached on Ecclesiastes. It's like the more we figure out, the more mess we see, right? Or the more cool things we create. Oh, it's got some good, but there's really a lot more bad now. Crap. What do I do? Or crud. See what I'm saying? Wrestle with this stuff. Think about this stuff. And remember that Christ was willing to like come down and become a part of it to save us. Isn't that powerful? It's amazing. He became us. He saves us. He makes us new creatures. He makes us human. Like truly, really human. And now we get to live as humanly as we can, if that makes sense, by being what? Dependent on God. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look at the toil of life where at times it seems meaningless and pointless and without uh, like a purpose to it. And you remind us that there ultimately is in you. You remind us that what it means to be fully human is to be people who are dependent on their creator. Remind us of that this week as we go about the toil of our lives. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.